please turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing to look at walking in unity. That's a, that's a bad sign here. Never, never give me anything electronical. Bill will be able to fix it here. We're, I'm trying something new this morning. It's, it's going well. Um, so we're turning to Ephesians chapter 4, talking about how Christ has created community as church and how now we are to walk in unity. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11 this morning, but let me, uh, I'm going to start in verse 1 and, and uh, read a, a little bit of a larger portion here as we look at Ephesians chapter 4. Now as you turn to Ephesians 4, just a reminder, next week we're having our baptismal service, and we're going to be having that in the pool area, and I would encourage you to come to church uh, a little bit earlier if you, if you don't attend Sunday school class. Sunday school classes will be, be uh, getting out a little bit early. And if you, if you, I encourage you to attend a Sunday school class first of all, but if you're not attending a Sunday school class uh, next week for whatever reason, just know that uh, we're going to meet in there a little bit before 10 o'clock and have our baptismal uh, time right before the service. And also, as, as Dave mentioned, uh, if you are interested in finding out more about our church and, and how you become a member and what the different ministries of Bethany Community are, I would encourage you to uh, come to Bethany 101. We'll be meeting in this room next Sunday during the, the Sunday school hour, and we'll be getting out early also so that we can, can uh, participate in the baptismal service. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, and if you'd stand with me, we're studying verses 7 through 11, but I'm going to start a little bit earlier in verse 1. Paul writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your, to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, but grace but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. Let's pray that God would continue to bless our time of worship together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your church, we thank you for the gifts that you've given to your church, and we pray this morning that as we talk about those gifts, we'd be excited, that there would be a sense of, of joy within each of us as we think about the gifts you've given us, and about our, 
our joyous responsibility to exercise those gifts. Give us your grace, we pray, in your Son Jesus' name, amen. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, your eye is like the lamp of your body, and if your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Jesus' point is that this small part of your body influences the the ability of your entire body to function at peak capacity. The eye itself, though it's a small part of your body, is composed of even smaller parts. There's the cornea through which light enters. There's the the pupil that allows a certain amount of light in. There are lenses within your eyes that that focus the light in the right areas of of your retina. The retina is the part of your eye, this inner layer that allows the, the, the picture to be transmitted along your optic nerve into your brain, and there are muscles around your eyes, six muscles that attach to that white part of your outer eye that allow your eye to move about in its orbital cavity. If I were to ask you, which part of your eye would you like me to remove? You'd say, well, you know, Daniel, actually it's all very important. I think I would like to keep all of it, thank you. Each part of that eye functions to allow you to be able to see to the best of your ability. Those of you who have had eye problems know how how one tiny part of your eye being off can affect your whole eye, and your eye being off can affect your whole body. The application to the church is this. Every part of the church is an important part of the body. Every member of Christ's church has an essential function to perform. If I were to ask you, uh, who is the most important person in the church, you would say, well, biblically, we're all important. Each part has a vital task to perform. Each person has a vital ministry to be engaged in to help the church function at its peak capacity. In your bulletin are listed the the new members of the church, and if we were to ask, well, well, who's the most important member? Uh, Who is the the least important person that's become a member this morning? We say, well, each one of these people is vital to the health of the church. If one of these people is not exercising the gift that God has given them, if one person is not engaged in ministry, the church is worse off for it. The church has failed to reach its maximum capacity if one of these new members is not engaged in ministry. You, if you are a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you are an essential part of this church. God has given you a ministry that no other person in this room, no other person in Christ's church has the ability to perform. No one else but you can do the ministry that God has called you to. This morning, as we look at Ephesians chapter 4 and talk about spiritual gifts, I, I hope that there becomes within you this, this spirit of excitement, of, of understanding, you know what, I do have this gift from God that God in his grace has given to me to perform for his glory. And I hope you leave here with an excitement about ministry, an understanding of what ministry looks like, what the spiritual gifts look like, and understand that the Holy Spirit has equipped you for that gifting. I hope you leave with that sense of excitement as we look at this passage this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11, and again, remember we've been talking about walking in unity from verse 1 all the way through verse 16. We're spending four weeks in this longer passage, and this morning, the idea that we're kind of looking at is, is this, that Christ gives gifts to every believer 
to build up his church. And if you're taking notes, you'll see that in your bulletin as well. Christ gives gifts to every believer to build up his church, and it's this idea that you and I are going to be talking about this morning, next week, and the week after. This morning, we're going to be focusing just on the first part of this idea that Christ gives gifts to every believer. And next week, we're going to be talking about elders or shepherds in the church. We're going to be talking about how God has given his church shepherds to help people in the church exercise their spiritual gifts to the maximum capacity. And then in two weeks, we'll be looking at the last part of this idea, <clears throat> that the purpose of these spiritual gifts, of giving these gifts to believers, is to help them build up the entire church. Uh, but this morning, we're focusing just on this first part of the idea that, that, God, that Christ gives gifts to every believer. Christ gives gifts to every believer. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11 and looking at four truths about spiritual gifts that support this idea that Christ gives gifts to every believer, and then we're just going to be spending some time uh, asking and answering questions about spiritual gifts. Now, in order to ensure that things go well, I'm going to be do doing both the asking and the answering. Uh, I get kind of nervous when people ask me questions that I don't know the answers to, but uh, I know the answers to the questions I'll be asking this morning. I, I believe I do anyway, and uh, you can be the, perhaps a better judge of that. And, and as uh, over the week, as you think about these questions about spiritual gifts and say, you know what, there's another question that I had about spiritual gifts that he, he didn't address. I'd encourage you to, to call me or, or shoot me an email or, or stop me after, that's probably, I probably won't remember it. Shoot me an email this week, and I'd, hopefully next week or the week after we'll be able to address that as well, or at least I can re reply to your email. Spiritual gifts is a big subject. You've been studying in some of the Sunday school classes, and so you know that we're not going to be able to, to, to delve the, the depths of this subject, but I hope Again, by the end of this morning, you have a passion for discerning what your spiritual gift is and an excitement about your ability to participate in ministry for the glory of God. Well, let's look at some of the truths here about spiritual gifts. Again, the idea here is that for this week is that Christ gives gifts to every believer, and let's look at four truths about these spiritual gifts. The first truth is this. Spiritual gifts are gifts of grace. Spiritual gifts are gifts of grace. Listen to what Paul says in verse 7. It says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. There are a lot of words that Paul uses in the New Testament to describe spiritual gifts. Sometimes he'll use the phrase spiritual gifts. Sometimes he'll talk about manifestations of the Spirit. Sometimes he'll talk about ministries. But here in verse 7 in Ephesians chapter 4, he uses the word grace. And what I think he's emphasizing is this. Spiritual gifts are things that Christ has given to his church that they don't deserve. It's not that you and I somehow deserve these spiritual gifts, but God, through, his unmerited, through our unmerited uh, abilities, has, has given us these gifts in order to enable us to do the ministries that he's called us to do. These gifts that God gives us are by his gracious hand. We haven't earned them, we haven't merited them. The implication for us as we do ministry, I think, is this. Sometimes our approach to ministry is that it's an obligation. So they say, well, I, I have this, this obligation to be serving the church. Daniel talked for who knows how long this morning about spiritual gifts, and so I know I need to be doing spiritual gifts and involved in some sort of ministry. And so our approach to it is, is obligation-based. It's, it's guilt-ridden. Maybe you say, well, I, I know that uh, I, I, a ministry that God has called me to is to give. 
And so I'm, I'm going to give to the church, but man, I just hate giving my hard earned money to, to a church. And so you, you kind of write the check, and there's, there's a, a great sense of foreboding as you, as you put it in the offering plate. Or you say, you know what, I, I know that the, the church is trying to start this Awana ministry next year. And I know that, I know that they need Awana, so I'm going to do Awana ministry. Man, I can't stand kids. <laughs> I didn't just say that. I'm saying that someone else might have said that. Right, guys? Okay. That's, that's a wrong understanding of spiritual gifts. It's a wrong understanding of ministry. Paul is saying here, spiritual gifts are grace. And God, in his grace, bestows on us the ability to do ministry. And my obligation as a pastor is to encourage people to be engaged in ministry. But part of my obligation is also to make sure that I exhort people to be involved in ministry through the right ways, through the right means. And so if I try to motivate people to do ministry through guilt, I'm motivating them in a way that's not going to be to their eternal benefit. If I say, you know what, uh, we've got this Awana ministry beginning, and uh, I want you to be involved in Awana, and, and think about all that Christ has done for you, and, and surely if Christ has done all this for you, you can pay him back by just being involved in the Awana ministry a couple hours a week. Or, or think about all that God has given you. Uh, can't you, since God has given you so much, give just back a, a portion to him on a Sunday morning through, through your tithes or through your time? Look, that's a wrong understanding of ministry. It's a wrong understanding of spiritual gifts. Gifts are a grace, and God in his grace allows you to minister. And so a right motivation would be something like this. Look, I'm giving you the opportunity to be involved in some kingdom work here. You have the opportunity to be involved in the lives of children. Now, would you like to experience the joy of being involved in children's ministry? And a person that's rightly motivated by the Spirit of God says, sign me up. I have a passion for that. God has given me the passion for that. And as they're involved in ministry and they see fruit from the ministry, they recognize this is a great thing. And instead of paying God back as I do ministry, what do I realize? I'm becoming more in debt to God. I'm not paying God back anything. Romans says, who is man that man could somehow pay God back? I gain, in my, I, I increase my debt to God as I'm engaged in ministry because the ability to do ministry is a grace of God. That's the first truth that I think is important for us to consider here, that spiritual gifts are gifts of grace. The second truth that I think is important for us to think about as we think about the, the fact that Christ gives gifts to every believer is this. Spiritual gifts are given by God. We've already talked about this somewhat, but look at verses 8 and following. Paul says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he's quoting Psalms here, he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This passage has been interpreted in, in many ways throughout church history. Uh, some people have thought mistakenly that it refers to, to Christ somehow descending into hell and, and leading up uh, people from hell in, into heaven or, or into to the, the heavenly realms. And that's not what he's saying in context, right? In context, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And he's saying uh, Jesus Christ resided in heaven he descended to the lower parts of, of the, the universe, the earth, and while on earth, he experienced victory over the demonic realm. He, through his death, conquered death and rose from the dead. 
Then what does it say? That he ascended on high, and as he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. That is, the, oh, he experienced this victory over the demonic realm. And then, as a conquering Savior, as a conquering Savior, Jesus Christ distribute, distributed the spoils of war. Think about a king who experiences victory and, and defeats a, another kingdom. What does he do? He d- distributes the spoils of war to those who followed him. Jesus Christ, as he experienced victory over the demonic realm, gave gifts to men, spoils of war, things that you and I need in order to continue the process of kingdom building on earth. Jesus Christ, as the conquering Savior, experienced this victory, and as he ascended into heaven, gave gifts to those of us who are part of his church so that we could continue the process of building Christ's kingdom here on earth. You and I now have the ability to do this kingdom work through the church because the, victory, the victorious Savior has given us the gifts we need to be equipped to do so. And so it's Christ, the conquering Savior, the one who's been victorious, who gives us these gifts that we're to exercise in the body of the church. So spiritual gifts are, are gifts of grace. They're given by God. The third truth that we see here in this passage is that spiritual, truth, uh, spiritual gifts are given to every believer. What does it say in verse 7? It says that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, has given each person in here a spiritual gift. Each person in here now has this gift from the Holy Spirit, enabled by the Holy Spirit, to do kingdom work. And you say, well, yeah, but I look at so-and-so, and this person has a gift that Man, everybody notices. No one even notices my gift. Or this person just has this amazing ability, and my gift compared to theirs seems like nothing. Why is that? Well, what does the verse say? It says that these gifts were given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ, in his sovereign will and his sovereign ability, has given us gifts as, as he will. And it's not our role to say, well, my gift isn't this gift, and I'd rather have this gift. We'll talk about this more later on. Or, I wish I had a more uh, visible gift, or I wish I had this gift in in greater quantity. That's not our responsibility to to understand or to determine. We say, okay, God has given me a gift. I'm going to use it to the best of my ability through his enablement. These spiritual gifts are given by God to every believer for his glory. Imagine, Imagine if you were starting a company. You said, you know what, I'm going to have a company, and in my company... Everything is going to be exactly equal. I'm tired of this, uh, of things being unequal, and, and I don't like it in my current company. I'm going to start my own company, and everyone's going to have the same function, the same role, the same rank. How well would that go over? You say, you know, every person in my company is going to be a salesperson. And so you have all these people going out and trying to, to sell your product, but there's a couple problems, right? Uh, there's no one to answer the phones. Uh, there's no one to build the product. There's no one to, to, to market the product. There's no one to, to manufacture the product or design it. You need people that have different abilities exercising those abilities in the framework of a company. And you, if you were the president of this company or the founder of this company, would have the responsibility uh, to look out at the, the people that were available to you and assign roles based upon their abilities. The same is true in Christ's church. Christ, in his sovereign wisdom, God, in his sovereign knowledge, has given gifts to every believer and has called them to exercise those spiritual gifts as he sees 
best fit. Finally, we see here, spiritual gifts are not only gifts of grace, they're not only given by God, not only are they given to every believer, but also spiritual gifts are enhanced by leaders in the church. Verse 11 says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip, to equip the saints for the, the work that he has called them to do, this work of ministry. And so, there are gifts that God has given to each individual believer, and yet there's also this gift of leadership that he's given to the church at large so that the leaders can help people be engaged in using their spiritual gifts. So, Christ gives gifts to every believer. That's kind of the, the phrase that we're working around and thinking about, these four truths that are related to this from this passage. Now, I know that whenever we talk about spiritual gifts, there are a lot of questions that, that kind of come up. And I've talked with some of your Sunday school leaders, and they've told me some of the questions that have come up in class. And, and I, uh, you know, I have a lot of questions, and I've, I've read some things about this. So I'm going to attempt to answer some of the, the bigger questions about spiritual gifts this morning. And again, if I, I don't cover something that's of particular interest to you, uh, let me know, uh, either again through phone or email. And I'll, I'll try to cover it in a coming week or at least try to answer it uh, uh, to you. So here are some questions that people have about spiritual gifts. And again, I, I'm using technology, and this could be a very dangerous thing. Uh, the exits are there and there. Um, spiritual gifts, here are some, some questions and answers about spiritual gifts. So the first question is, is, how many spiritual gifts are there, and what are these spiritual gifts? And different people come up with different lists and different numbers. Let's look at a couple passages Keep your fingers there in Ephesians chapter 4 and turn back to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 6. A couple passages that, that list the, the different spiritual gifts. We're going to be in Romans 12, and then we're going to turn over to 1 Corinthians 12 if, if you want to uh, turn there in advance. I'm going to kind of read through these lists where Paul begins to enumerate these spiritual gifts. I'm going to right, stop here every now and then and talk about what I think some of these spiritual gifts represent. The first passage is this, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Uh, Paul says that we have gifts that differ, and we've already talked about that, according to the grace given us. So again, just this idea that we've already covered, that each of us has these spiritual gifts that are different according to, to God's sovereign desires for us. But he says this, and, and as he lists these gifts, there are some of these gifts that I believe are, are no longer existent in the church today. We'll talk about those here as, as we go uh, through it later. There's another question that deals with this. But let me just kind of talk through this. He says this, uh, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If our gift is prophecy, let's prophesy in a proportion to our faith. And I believe that prophecy means this. I think prophecy means the ability to have this special revelation from God and, and, uh, and give these utterances that are, that are kind of spontaneous revelation. Uh, this is one of the gifts that I believe no longer exists today, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Now, we've already talked about in Ephesians that Christ built his church upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, that there was this foundational ministry that was, early, that was there in the early church, this ministry of proclaiming God's special revelation and helping people understand his special revelation. And I believe that that gift ceased with the, the, the end of the apostolic age, the end of the apostles' ministry, those people that, that God equipped for this special time to lay this foundation. And now the church is building on that foundation. Now, some great Christian uh, leaders disagree with my interpretation of what the gift of prophecy is. Uh, some would say that this refers to a simple exhortation from God's word. And, and they could be right. Now, I, I don't think that because I think there are other gifts that, 
that cover the exhortation from God's Word. But uh, all that to say, prophecy, I believe, referred to the spontaneous revelation that a person would give in the early church. That's one of the gifts listed here. It says, verse 7, if serving, and, and one serving, so some people have a Holy Spirit-enabled gift to be able to serve other people well. They're able to, to look at a situation and see what the needs are, and then through the enabling work of the Holy Spirit, meet those needs. Uh, some have the gift of teaching, verse 7. If one teaches in his teaching, if one exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. And so all these are, are gifts that people in the church have. Some people have the gift of, of giving. Some people have the gift of, of teaching through the Holy Spirit. Uh, some people have the ability to exhort, to, to motivate people according to God's word. Continuing in verse 8, uh, some, the one who leads with zeal. Some people have the gift of, of leading other people through the Holy Spirit. Uh, the one who does acts of mercy with, with cheerfulness. Okay? And so that's from Romans chapter 12, the different spiritual gifts that exist. And here, let me give you a little a chart here. I don't know if you can see that, but that first column all the way over to your left is the, the gifts listed in Romans chapter 12. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhorting people, giving, leading, mercy. Uh, this second column is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 now. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, we see some other spiritual gifts given. Uh, Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And so some people have the ability to, to, to help a person that's... that's engaged in difficulty in life and say, look, here's some wise principles for you to be engaged in. Here's a way to conduct yourself in a way that, that's godly. They have the ability to utter wise things to other people, again, through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, some have the ability, according to 1 Corinthians 12, to, to, to I think this is utterance of knowledge is, is related to, to teaching as well, according to the same Spirit. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. To another, and we're going to talk more about these in just a moment, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. I think this, that refers to discernment. You can be engaged in a situation and a person isn't sure what's right and wrong, and a person with the gift of discernment says, look, this is what's off about this teaching. You're, you're listening to a radio Bible teacher and, and you hear something, you say, you know what, there's something not right about that. And you talk to someone with the gift of discernment, you say, this is what I heard. Now, now what's off about this? And a person that, that has the spiritual gift of discernment can tell you, look, this is what's wrong. Okay? That's the gift of, the, of discerning. He goes on in, in, verse, in verse 10. He says, ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongue, to another interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who appoint apportions to each one individually as he will. You go down into verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12 and you see the, the list, uh, the, the, the spiritual gifts listed in that third column from the, from the left going to the right. It says in verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, Helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And there's a lot that we could say about these spiritual gifts that we don't have time to get into this morning. Uh, but basically, what you see here, I believe, is this. And then the last column is our, our, our passage from Ephesians chapter 4, by the way. Anyway, what you see Paul doing in these various passages is this. 
I think he's laying out some broad categories that describe the various ways the Holy Spirit manifests himself in the life of believers in a church. I don't think that he's saying, look, uh, I, don't, I don't think he's trying to pigeonhole these gifts in such a way that you say, well, if I have the gift of helping, if I have the gift of helping, it always has these eight characteristics. And every person in the church that has the gift of helping, it always manifests itself in these eight ways. I think the manifestation of the Spirit in Christ's body is much more diverse than that. And so, you know, you may have, have Dan here, and Dan has the gift of helping, and, and his gift of helping manifests itself in one way, and you see Dan's helping uh, kind of converges with the gift of mercy, and, and, it, and it's completely unique to Dan. And our church would not be the church it needs to be unless Dan's exercising that spiritual gift. And Josh here has the gift of teaching, yet his teaching doesn't look the same as the gift of teaching in someone else. It's kind of a a teaching uh, that's combined with exhortation, and and God and his sovereign will has decided that's how Josh is going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, the the gift of the Spirit in the life of Bethany Community Church. So as as Paul is going through these categories, I think that he's given a, a broad overview of different ways that the Spirit manifests itself in the life of the church. That's the first question here. How many spiritual gifts are there and and what are they? I don't believe that we have necessarily an exact number, but I think the broad categories are described there in those passages. Now, the second question is this. Are there some spiritual gifts that are not mentioned in the Bible? That is, okay, I see this list, and and yet I look at my ministry, and and I'm really gifted with, uh, for example, uh, sowing, okay? I have the ability to sow really well. And I've seen God use my, my gift of, of sowing in, in people's lives. Or another example would be I, I'm really musical. Okay? I have the, the ability to, to perform music very well, and I've seen God bless that ability. And, and is that a spiritual gift? Here's, here's my short answer. No. Okay? I don't believe that there are spiritual gifts that are, are not mentioned in the Bible. Okay? Now, what I do believe, though, is this. Let's say that you have a musical ability. You're very talented musically. The problem with saying that that's a spiritual gift is this. You could be very talented musically, but I, and you're a believer, but I could put up another person right next to you that's also just as gifted musically who's not a believer. So what I'm saying is this. God has given us each abilities, and I think it's important for us to understand that abilities are different than gifts. They're still given by God, but abilities, natural abilities, are different than spiritual gifts. Now what happens is this. You have a, a believer with uh, the gift of, of, of music, and, or the, the talent of music, and you have an unbeliever that's also very talented musically. But the Holy Spirit uses that ability in such a way that spiritual fruit is born. And so the Holy Spirit works in that person's life in order to have some effects that could not be accomplished apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. There are some things that happen when that person uses their ability that that could not be happened if an unbeliever was was up there engaged in some sort of musical worship. Perhaps it's a gift of of exhortation that gets combined with with their music, or the gift of teaching, or the gift of of helps. There's, There's something that happens spiritually in that gift that causes it to be used for God's glory. And so I would say that there are not spiritual gifts that are, that are uh, that, 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 no, that are, to the answer, there are not spiritual gifts that are not mentioned in, in the Bible. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the giving of gifts, I think is an essential question to consider as well. 
These are called spiritual gifts, and it's the Spirit who enables, who enables believers to use those gifts. Think about 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul calls these, calls these gifts gifts of the Spirit or manifestations of the Spirit. He talks about how they're, they're given through the Spirit. And so it's, it's wrong for us to understand that these gifts that could somehow be exercised apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Another question that, that people have is, is this, and this is a big one, right? Have the miraculous gifts ceased? And I want to spend a couple minutes talking about this. Have the miraculous gifts ceased? Okay, and you say, okay, I see these spiritual gifts that you, you, you showed up on there earlier, and, and I don't see healing taking place in the same way that it was taking place in the early church. I, I don't, you've said that people don't still have the gift of prophecy. What's your biblical justification for saying so? And I think that is an excellent question, and before I give my answer, let me just acknowledge that good, genuine, God-fearing, biblical believers differ on the answer to this, okay? Now, let me give you my answer, all right? Turn to, to Hebrews chapter 2. This is a passage that we've considered before. You can keep your finger there in Ephesians. Hebrews chapter 2. The writer of Hebrews is describing the, the importance of, of paying careful attention to, to God's word. It says this, verse 3, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. And he's talking about those who are part of the apostolic ministry. But then he says this, and notice the past tense in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 2. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What I think the writer of Hebrews is saying is that there was a time when this apostolic message was being proclaimed. And as this message was being proclaimed by the early apostles, those who administered with the Lord Jesus and were continuing his, his ministry of proclamation and building the church, at this unique time in human history, there were these miraculous gifts that accompanied that proclamation. Let me turn to another passage that I think kind of illustrates this, and, and I'd acknowledge that this is not a, a slam-dunk argument, but I believe this is the biblical testimony about spiritual gifts. In Acts chapter 5, or, or, as you consider the apostolic ministry, you find that at the beginning of the apostolic ministry, miracle, miraculous gifts abound. As you come to the completion of the apostolic age, you find that these miraculous gifts are not as widespread. Let me just give you a couple examples. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Luke writes this, he says, now many signs and wonders, remember that's the phrase that the writer of Hebrews uses as well to describe that the, the message that was being proclaimed, being accompanied by signs and wonders. He says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, and none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Verse 14 and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and as, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, and I think this part is very important, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. 
at this early time in the church history, these apostles have this gift from God, this, this gift of healing, to allow these signs and wonders to accompany their ministry. And it's not just the gift of healing, it's also the gift of tongues. And I would define the gift of tongues as the ability to, to, to speak language in, in, order, in an effort to proclaim the gospel. The word tongues literally means a language. And so there are these signs that accompany the, the apostolic message at the beginning of the church. Now what you find is by AD 60, towards the end of the apostolic period, these signs and wonders seem to have greatly decreased. So the Apostle Paul, for example, in his early ministry, can raise this guy from the dead. They can, they can heal people. In Acts chapter 5, everyone who's brought to them is healed. But as you start reading the epistles, you find that this gift doesn't seem to be existing in quite the same way anyway, anymore. Uh, Paul's co-workers are, are right near him, and they're all sick. Paul has to tell Timothy, hey, you know that stomach ache you have? Take a little wine for it. Here's some medicinal remedy for it. And so no longer do you see these, these signs and wonders accompanying the apostolic ministry. Now, does this mean that miracles have ceased? Absolutely not. I still believe that God works in miraculous ways. I believe that, that the spiritual gifts themselves are, are miraculous things that God does in the life of the believer, but these sign and wonder gifts seem to have ceased as the apostolic age came to completion, as the, the, the canon was closed. These, these gifts no longer seem to have been as prominent. And again, I, I believe that good believers disagree on this issue, but this is what I believe uh, is, is the testimony of Scripture. And that also, again, doesn't mean that sometimes uh, God doesn't work in the life of an individual in a very miraculous way. It doesn't mean that a person might pray for another believer and not have that, that prayer answered, and, and the believer, uh, the, this other person that they pray for, be healed in a miraculous way. Certainly, all those things are true. But as far as spiritual gifting, I believe that, that, that some of these more miraculous gifts came to a close, began to, to cease, as the apostolic period ended. Well, that, that brings up a, another question that a lot of people have as they think about spiritual gifts. That question is, is this. Uh, who are charismatics, and, and what do they believe about spiritual gifts? Charismatics are, are people who uh, would identify themselves as part of a spiritual renewal mo movement. Wayne Grudem is a charismatic, and, and he defines charismatics this way. They're groups who trace their historical origin to the charismatic renewal movement of the 1960s and 70s. They're, they're people who believe that it's, it's necessary to seek to practice all the spiritual gifts. Now, I believe that, that as you talk about charismatics, you're talking about a very, very wide group. And there are some charismatics that I would say, you know, I'm, I'd be excited about a person being involved in a ministry with that charismatic, and, and uh, you know, we might disagree on some issues, but that, that, that charismatic group is still committed to the sufficiency of Scripture and, and God's Word. But there are other groups within the charismatic movement that would concern me greatly for several reasons. First of all, charismatics oftentimes place an unbiblical emphasis on spiritual gifts, on certain spiritual gifts. And not only do they place an unbiblical emphasis, an emphasis that Scripture nowhere places on certain gifts like gifts of tongues, they also have an unbiblical understanding of how those gifts are exercised, like the gift of tongues. Now, if a person said, I still believe that the gift of tongues exists, I'd say that's fine, but make sure that you, if you practice that gift, you practice it in a way that Scripture says to practice it. It's orderly. It's, it's uh, under control that there's an interpreter. Oftentimes, charismatics, as they begin to exercise these spiritual gifts, manifest them in a way that's, that runs 180 degrees from how Scripture says that we're to operate those spiritual gifts. 
Furthermore, oftentimes, there are elements of the charismatic movement who not only have an unbiblical understanding of gifts, place an unbiblical emphasis on gifts, but also have an unbiblical understanding of what we call sanctification, of growing in our walk with Jesus. And so some charismatics teach that a person, in order to grow in their walk with the Lord, needs to experience certain spiritual gifts. And they kind of divide Christians into two classes. And on one class, you have those, those Christians who haven't been filled with the second filling of the Holy Spirit. And another, uh, another class, you have like the, the super-duper Christians, the superhero Christians. Uh, I don't mean to mock. But this, the, the, I'm going to do it again because I can't think of a better phrase. Super-duper Christians who have been infused with the Holy Spirit in a certain way. And what happens, I believe, is this. I've seen it a lot with young people when I was a youth pastor. Person's going along in their spiritual walk. They're told about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they begin to try to exercise them, and there's this emotional reaction that they have, and they are living high on the spiritual life. There's this adrenaline rush. And then, at some point in time, it's gone. And because there hasn't been the, the careful, steady growth in exercising spiritual disciplines that God's Word calls us to exercise, when that emotion is gone, they're left with nothing, and they realize, you know what? Maybe this whole thing was a sham, and they fall away further than before. Now, I want to be careful. That's not true of all charismatic movements, but it's broad enough within the charismatic movement to, call me, to cause me to call you to be very careful as you deal with charismatic theology and their understanding of sanctification, of how to grow in our walk with the Lord. I believe that Scripture teaches this about spiritual gifts, and we're going to talk about this in two weeks. Spiritual gifts are not something that, that caused us to experience this emotional rush and, and be on, the, on, this, on this incredible high. Spiritual gifts are these disciplines that were to exercise each one of us within the context of the local ministry of the church. How? Why? To build each other up. To slowly become more and more grounded in God's word. To become more grounded in our understanding of what's true and what's false. And as we become more grounded, what do we become? We become stronger the last part of Ephesians 4 that we're going to be talking about in two weeks really talks about this idea of, of becoming more mature and, and, and firm in our, in our growth in God's Word, understanding right doctrine from false doctrine. And if I was going to, uh, if I was going to, to, to talk about the weakness of the charismatic movement, that would be what it is, that it fails to ground people sometimes in God's Word and rightly understanding His truth, causing them to grow in maturity which is the ultimate purpose of spiritual gifts. The next question is, is this. How many gifts does each believer have? Uh, you know, related to this, uh, can I get more? You know, I'd like to kind of collect them. All right? uh, I believe that each believer has, again, as we talked about those categories, I think there's, there's a wide variety of ways that God kind of melds these gifts together, but I believe that, that each believer has a gift that God has given them for the context of whatever ministry they find themselves in right now. And so if you said to say, well, is it possible to have someone have the gift of serving and the gift of leadership? I'd say absolutely. But at the same time, when all of these gifts kind of come together in the life of a believer, I, I'd probably call it one gift. That there's one gift that God has given a person for a certain ministry at a certain time, and that gift can change, and the way in which it manifests itself in the church I believe, can, can change as well. The important thing for you to remember is this. The important thing for you to remember is this, that you have a gift right now, right now, if you're a believer, that no other person in this room has. 
right now, this gift that you have is a gift that no one else in this church is going to be able to replicate. And if you decide to not exercise the spiritual gift, our church is worse off for it. You are worse off for it. Every believer is absolutely vital. Every believer is absolutely vital for the church to function at its peak capacity. Seventh question is, is this. Uh, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Okay, Daniel, you've talked a lot about it. Now, how, how do I do it, all right? If you know me, um, I'm a very... Uh, I don't like using this phrase. I'm a very picky eater sometimes, all right? So I feel sorry when I go to a restaurant. I feel sorry for the, the waiter or the waitress because of the exact uh, ramifications of all the things that I want and how I'd like it arranged on my plate. Um, I'm kidding. But uh, you know, there's a certain, I, I order. You know, I, I like Burger King. I like to make it my way, all right? That's not how spiritual gifts work, right? You can't say, you know, God, uh, I'd like to order up my spiritual gift. I'd like a little bit of teaching. And, oh, man, I like the guy that ex- exhorted yesterday. I'd like to have the gift of exhortation, too. And, and serving, eh, okay, yeah, a little bit of that. And, and we make it, that's not how spiritual gifts work. I also don't think it's necessarily all that helpful to take spiritual inventory tests, okay? Now, the good thing about taking a spiritual inventory test is it can kind of make you aware of all the different things that are out there. But remember, spiritual gifts are different than abilities. And so you might say, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher at school, so surely I have the spiritual gift of teaching, or, or I'm a great administrator in my job, so sur- surely I have the spiritual gift of administration. That's not necessarily true. Here's how you determine your spiritual gift. You begin to respond to the ministries that God has called you to. And so you begin to get engaged in ministry. You hear about uh, this need for ushers, and so you begin to usher. Or you hear about this, this need for people to be involved in the worship ministry. And so you, you begin to be involved in the worship ministry. And you see God using your spiritual gifts in those ministries that he's called you to. And as you see God using you, other people come alongside you and they say, I'd like to tell you how I've seen God use you in this ministry. You've really served me by being involved in this ministry. Or, or I appreciate your mercy. And what you see is God confirming through the lives of other believers your spiritual gifting. And you're encouraged by that. Now, again, the leadership's job is to give you opportunities to exercise your spiritual gifts. And so last week and this week, we've we've set out opportunities for you to find out about ministry opportunities. And your responsibility is either through that method or through some other method to begin to plug yourself into ministry. Even if we fail you sometimes in, in calling you back on time or there's some sort of administrative hiccups, your job is to continue to continue to be excited about ministry and and trying to propel propel yourself into opportunities to do ministry. And you determine your spiritual gift as God blesses your ministry. And it's less important for you to be able to say, okay, I know that my exact spiritual gift is serving. It's less important to be able to say that than to be able to say, you know what, I know that this is the ministry that God has called me to, and I know that his Holy Spirit is working through me in such a way that I'm able to do spiritual gifting. And you know what, I'm excited about it. There's a joy that I have as I'm involved in this ministry that is a joy beyond any joy that I've ever known. And my passion as a pastor is to equip people to use their spiritual gifts, not so that we have a lot of things going on in our church, but so that we have a lot of people exercising their spiritual gifts so that they can experience the joy of following after Jesus. How do I know what my spiritual gift is? We get involved in ministry and others confirm it through the work of the Spirit. 